This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn with me again in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in the next verse from where we left off last time. Before we do, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? It makes all the difference in the world. Um, I, uh, there's a, a set of novels uh, written by Andrew Peterson. You may know who Andrew Peterson is. I don't know. Um, he, he's, got, um, um, he's a Christian musician. But he's also written some novels called The Wingfeather Saga. And it's about these uh, children who are on the run from these creatures that are kind of like human, but kind of like lizards. Um, anyway, they, the story begins, and they are living in a small little town, humble, um, taking care of the chores, um, and they're living in an occupied territory that is occupied by this evil creature's army of these lizard people. I know it sounds weird. But everything changes when it's discovered who they are. Because actually, they are the children of the king of a kingdom who lives in a land beyond the sea. And when it's discovered who they are, the fangs, as these lizard people are called, they begin to chase after them. And they realize who they are, and it makes all the difference in the world. Who we are makes all the difference in the world. We are, as believers, in this occupied territory. This world that we live in, that is occupied by... Forces of the demonic that is still under the curse. We need to remember who we are. We are children of the king. Not the king who is across the ocean, but a king who reigns in heaven over all of the earth. We need to know who we are. We need to know what God has done for us. We need to know our destination, where we are headed, and we need to know the power that God has to live and to work in our lives. And that's what Paul is talking about this morning. He begins with a prayer of how he thanks God for the Ephesian believers, but then he, he turns and prays, he, he says what he prays for them, and it's that they might know these things, and then it progresses another stair step, and it, it, it then begins to explain the power of God. And we're going to see all of that in these verses we look at this morning. We're going to begin in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what, it, what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the world as it is. We pray that you would help us to know who we are. Lord, you would open our eyes. Lord, you would enlighten our eyes that we could see with the spirit of wisdom. That we would know our inheritance and the power that you have worked in us. Father, we praise you for you are good to us and you have done amazing things in Jesus Christ. I pray that you give me strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. For this reason, Paul says, what reason? He follows this up. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. He begins with the reason for what's coming later. The reason is he, he, he has heard about these Ephesian believers. Uh, Paul was in prison at the time that he wrote this, probably in Rome. The, he had been in Ephesus, but it was probably seven years earlier. I, I read one estimate. Uh, And he may not have known the individuals that were there in the church that he was writing to, but he had heard about it. He had heard about their faith in Jesus and their love for one another. He didn't thank God for all of their works. He didn't thank God for, uh, for anything other than the fact that they had believed in Jesus and they loved one another. Um, He trusted that they were genuinely converted because they believed in Jesus and they loved one another. You know, um, John tells us in in the first letter that John wrote, we know a true believer as one who loves his brother. And Paul, we see this same thing. He knew these Christians were genuine because they demonstrated their love for one another. That was something that Paul pointed at as evidence as he thanked God for these Ephesian believers. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. 
He always was giving thanks to these believers that he may not have even met before because he'd heard that they believed in Jesus and they loved one another. Now that's all good. What does that have to do with us? This is Paul writing to a church 2,000 years ago. How do we apply that to us? I think we should use, we should imitate that kind of thing that he has in his prayer here. Pastors ought to pray for their people in the same way. As pastors look at their congregation, they see the people's faith. They see they're trusting in and believing in Jesus and they see the love that they have for one another and it ought to cause us pastors to thank God continually because of the work that He has done in His people. And not only pastors, I think all of us generally, you know, uh, we believe as Baptists in the priesthood of believers... And we all can thank God as we see that in one another. When you look at your family here in the church, and and you see people who are trusting in Jesus, and people who are showing and demonstrating their love for one another, we ought to imitate this that Paul does and thank God for it. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that... So he switches gears here. He's he's first thanking God for the faith that he sees in the believers. And now, he's praying specifics. This is what he's praying. He says that... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. First of all, this is a transaction. This is a gift. He's praying that God, and not just any God, we talked about that last week too, He he, he doesn't just talk about God in generic terms. But He's God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God of the Bible, not the God of the philosophers. Not just any generic feel-good God, but the God of the Scriptures would give to these believers a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. We need to have our eyes opened. We need to have God work in us that we could have the Spirit living in us and revealing to us what Christ has done. What we're going to see about Jesus, about what what He's done in ourselves, is something that you have to have God do. We We can fill our heads with lots of information. But it might just make us eggheads, theological eggheads. We've got to have the Spirit open our eyes. We've got to have the Spirit give us wisdom so that we know what these things mean and we know how to live in accordance with them. 
Verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. He prays here that the Ephesian believers, and I think by extension us as well, that we would, once we have our eyes open, once we, we have, have had the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we would know the hope to which we've been called. We need to know our future. We need to know where we're destined. I've got to tell you, my, my, I shared last week that my mom was having surgery this week. She was having a brain tumor removed. And uh, it, it went well. They, they got all the tumor. It's not cancerous. Um, she has a long road of recovery ahead of her. Um, I won't go into all of the details. And she's discouraged right now. Uh, she's discouraged. She's, she's in pain. She's suffering from nausea. She's, she just feels, I've heard reports from my dad, she just feels like she's never going to get better. When I go visit her, I need to remind her of her hope. I need to remind her of her hope. Where are, are the hope to which we've been called. Jesus, He has, what we saw in the last week, He has predestined us to one day be presented before the Father, pure and blameless, no flaws. We live in this darkened world now that is darkened by sin and, and it's, it's, it's tainted by the fall. But one day He is coming back and there will no longer be any curse. We will no longer have any pain. There will no longer be any brain tumors. There will no longer be anything that we cry and, and struggle with today. He will, he will set all things right. That is the hope to which we've been called. That can give us the courage and the hope to be able to keep on going when things look dark. I shared what, what, what's going on in, in my family's life right now, but I know each one of you probably have something in your own life. Maybe it's something medical. Maybe you've, you've had some kind of diagnosis that, that you just don't know how you're going to deal with. Know the hope that He's called you to. It may look dark now, but He is bringing you and, and changing you into the image of Jesus. And one day He will pre present you blameless before the Father if you're trusting in Him. And maybe you have, have issues with your kids not behaving. Or your adult kids who've wandered away. Maybe you have financial issues. One of these days, He's coming and He's going to set all things right. And we will praise Him and we will glorify Him forever and ever and ever. That's the hope to which we have been called. And He wants us to know that. Then, He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. 
He is not stingy. I talked about that last week. He just keeps coming up over and over. Paul keeps talking about the riches of his inheritance. He's not holding anything back. He is giving it all to us in Jesus. He pours it on us. And again, he calls us saints. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? He is powerful. He can do anything. My mom's sitting in the St. Luke's hospital right now in a bed feeling like she'll never be able to do the things she used to do before. And I don't know the future. God may raise her up and she'll be able to live normally the way she did before, or it may be in the resurrection before she'll be able to do those things again. But God is powerful. And one way or another... He will not only deliver us from whatever trial that we are facing, but He'll raise us up and and it will be better than we could have ever asked or imagined. This power that He has toward the us who believe. This is a power that is toward us who believe. And, and he, he, he then begins to explain this power. According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and sealed him, seated Him at the right hand of the, in the heavenly places. What is this power like that He has has toward us who believe? It's like this. It's according to the same power that He used in Christ when He rose Him from the dead. You want to know the power God has in your life? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead and raised Him up and seated Him At the right hand in the heavenly places. We sang this morning, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Jesus didn't die again after the resurrection. He he ascended into heaven. He He sits at the Father's right hand making intercession for us. It's the same power that did that in Jesus that He has available at work in us. This same power has raised Jesus to His right hand and it is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He turns the focus in this part. He has been talking about what He prays for us. That we might know this power. And he turns the corner and he begins to talk about this power. And he begins to talk about Jesus 
and His exalted nature. He is far above any rule or authority or power or dominion. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is higher than any congressman. He is higher than any president. He is higher than any authority here on earth. And when it talks here about dominions and power and authority, all those things, we see those again in Ephesians. In the last chapter... When it tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Jesus is... You don't know, we don't know a whole lot. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole about, about the angelic realm and about uh, those things. But the same terms that, that it uses later to talk about fallen angels that we might wrestle with are the same kind of terms that you might use to talk about angels and and the the kind of authorities that they have within God's angels, the the elect angels, some, some scriptures talk about them. And Jesus is seated higher above any of those. He is higher than above any earthly authority. He is higher than any heavenly authority. And He's above every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but the one to come. We think about names. This dawned on me. Think back to Genesis chapter 6. No, not chapter 6. I'm thinking of the wrong chapter. Chapter 10. With the Tower of Babel. I think it's the right chapter. Tower of Babel. The people wanted to do something. They wanted to build a tower to be up into the heavens, right? Because they wanted to make a name for themselves. That they wanted to be famous. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to build by their own human effort this tower that reached into the heavens that they might make a name for themselves. And God frustrated that. He confused the language, just went flick, and the tower comes falling down, right? Jesus is the name above every name. Those humans of old, in ancient time, they tried to make a name for themselves. I don't know that we have anyone's name recorded that was there. But Jesus is the name above every name. The name that is exalted above every name belongs to the One who descended from heaven, who came from heaven to earth, and then who also ascended, who came from earth into heaven. He is exalted above every name. The people of old, they tried to reach the heavens by their own work. But Jesus has been exalted by God into the heavenly places. And He has a name above every name. He is more famous. You know, the Beatles famously quipped, we're bigger than Jesus. No. Jesus has a name that will last for eternity and we will all bow. Every knee will bow, both in heaven and on earth. And give praise to Jesus forever. 
It also tells us here, Paul says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. That term, he put all things under his feet, may sound familiar as well. We think back to Psalms, Psalm 8 in particular, where he, God said, the, the psalmist says, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Put all things under his feet. God created man in the garden to rule as king over the earth as his image bearer. Man, we know the story, messed up. And Christ, the second Adam, has come, and now God has placed all things under the feet of Jesus, the second Adam. He rules as king over all of creation. He is head over all things. And and notice the way that it says the, the later part of this verse. And gave him as head over all things to the church. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, gave him to be head over all things in the church. Now, he is head over all things in the church, but that's not what this is communicating. It says, he gave him as head over all things to the church. That means, Jesus is being given to the church by the Father as head over all things. He is in control of all things. He is the King of all the universe. And He is here as our gift. And as we go and proclaim the Gospel to the nations, as we go and proclaim the Gospel in Litchfield, in this county, we have Jesus, our King, who's right here with us. He has authority over all things. How can we know our, we will be prosperous in our mission? Because Jesus, as all thing, as head over all things, is God's gift to the church. And He is with us in every endeavor we do. Just like He said in the Great Commission, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He here calls the church his body. We are his hands and feet, as some have said. We are, we have, we are united to him. We need to know that about ourselves, about about ourselves. If we are in Christ, if we have trusted in Him, we are united as Him to Him as a body is united to the head. And, And we go and we serve in Jesus' name, doing the things that He has commanded us to do. We are His hands and His feet, demonstrating and showing His love to our communities and to the nations. fullness of Him who fills all in 
all. Jesus indwells his church. He indwells believers. We have the fullness of him. And he is the one who fills all in all. That, that is, that is I, I'm not sure if I, I can even explain that. I'm not even sure I can understand that. He fills all in all. We, we, we don't want to be thinking in some kind of pantheistic terms, like pantheism says God is everything. Or, 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 or the, the uh, panentheistic, uh, that's a little bit different from pantheism. It says God is in everything. No, Jesus personally fills all in all. He sustains everything by His power. Every atom, every molecule on the face of the planet is held together by Jesus Christ. We have Him, that same power that God worked in Jesus, working in our lives. That ought to give us hope. With whatever you're struggling with this week, with whatever tragedy may have come into your life in the last week or in the week to come, you need to know who you are. You need to know your future, our inheritance that we have. You need to know the power that God has to work in your life. You need to have your eyes opened spiritually to see in the way that the Spirit reveals. To see those spiritual realities beyond just the tangible that we can see. May He give that to us this morning. May we, He give that to us and we can sing all the more the song we're about to sing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen.